If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up with me to Mark chapter 1. Very thankful that you're here tonight. Mark chapter 1, and we're going to get into it pretty quickly tonight. Uh, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. I hope that you have something you can take notes with tonight. Uh, write down at the top of your notes, you can write down, this is my title for tonight. Last week, you remember, we talked about it's not about me. And we kind of laid the, the groundwork of this sermon series and what it really looks like to die to self. You'll be familiar with Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That passage is one of the passages where this series comes from. That and Luke 9. But tonight we're going to Mark chapter 1. So if we die to ourselves, what does this all really look like? Well, here's my title. It's not about religion. It's not about religion. And I just want to talk to you tonight. I want us to talk through this concept. Well, you hear probably, it's a lot that you have heard, that Christianity is not about a religion. It's about relationship. It's about having a relationship with God. We cannot deny the fact. We can't say Christianity is not a religion. It is a religion. Where people get confused is they live for a religion. They live to be religious, and they don't realize that what Jesus came on this earth for was to have a relationship with you. And they get that confused. They don't understand that it's not about works. It's not about doing things to check a box because that's how we're all wired in college. The only way you're going to survive is if you have a to-do list. <laughs> the only way you're going to survive is if you have a planner. And everywhere in our life, we get used to what? If I just write it down here in my planner and I just check it off and I just do it and I, I'm done with work. If I can just outline my list of what I got to get done and I just knock them out one by one. Boom, 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 boom. Problem is, that's not how Christianity works. Following Jesus is not a checklist. It is a relationship. You're going to hear me refer back to my wife a lot in this sermon. And the reason why is because if I treated my wife like it was an agenda or a planner or a to-do list, like, hey, baby, come here. Let me talk to you for 10 minutes. I get those nine minutes in, and then I check it off a box. Like, okay, good. Get away from me, baby. I'll check the box today. Number one, you would say I'm a very poor husband, wouldn't you? Thank you. Somebody was like, Yes. <laughs> That's a very bad husband. But, you know, we do that with Jesus all the time. And I don't know where you were or where you said amen, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, we, we push Jesus down to a checkbox. And we say, man, I just got to get those 10 minutes in with Jesus this morning to make sure I'm good. And then we go on about our day. But isn't Christianity so much more than that? When you read the Gospels, when you read the book of Acts, when you look at the early disciples, we see them dying for their sin, dying for their faith in Jesus. We see them being beaten and stoned, and as they're being beaten and stoned, they're asking God to forgive the ones who stoned them. You know, in our culture today, we won't forgive someone who cuts us off in traffic. <laughs> no, we want to flip them to bird. We want to cuss them out. We wouldn't forgive someone who backstabbed us in a friendship and yet what we see in the Gospels is we see people dying over their faith, being stoned, beaten, and tortured. And they're praying right there in that moment, just like Stephen was in Acts. They're praying for God to forgive the ones who are stoning them. How can a human being do that? How can a human being do that? I'll tell you, only by they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and their hope is not in this life, it's in the next. Hello? <laughs> Listen, in this place, man, we like to have some fun. It's okay if you make some noise. It's okay if you liven up. We ain't got to be stiff in here. Church is fun. You ever heard anybody say that? Church is fun. Amen? Listen, at The View, you know what we do. We baptize. We preach about Jesus. We preach hard sermons. We worship. And we have community. That's what we're about. And that's not, that is not going to change here. So it is not 
about a religion. The misconceptions here in America run wide and rampant. I want to give you some of them. Many people believe that Christianity is just another religion in the cafeteria line of options. David Platt said that. We believe that Christianity we can just take and choose, or if we don't like Christianity, we can take this other religion, or we can put it back and we can take this one over here, but Christianity is much more than that. We're going to talk about why. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who believe the Bible is nothing more than a rule book. I think Zach Paulin said it, the one who carried this table up here with that big old arm of his. I wish my arm was that big. He said, a lot of people believe that this is just a rule book. You know, if we're honest, if you're going to be honest with me tonight, we're just talking. A lot of times we sit down and we, we kind of feel like it's a rule book, don't we? Like the Bible is a bunch of do's and don'ts. When in reality, it's your creator, it's your father speaking to you through divine revelation. Isn't that amazing? Many people believe Jesus was white. <laughs> I hate to be the one to tell you this. I really do. I hate to be the one, but somebody's bubble's getting popped tonight. Jesus was not white. Hello? <laughs> he wasn't. He was not white. He's not Santa Claus. Jesus was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi 2,000 years ago. <laughs> a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi. That's the Lord we serve. Isn't that amazing? But people in America believe that Jesus is white. Now, why do these misconceptions happen? Why do we have so many misconceptions in America? Well, I wrote a few reasons down. Oh, God bless you. <laughs> hey, I don't play around about sneezes, man. You gotta, don't ever let somebody sneeze around you and you don't say God bless you. All right? That's from your pastor. Go tell somebody that this week. The misconceptions on Christianity are wide and rampant. I still have a lot of people who I know many of you have experienced a quick life change, right? Some of you experienced quick life change. Let me level with you. My life changed quick. And I still have people who come up to me and they say, Daniel, man, I see that you're doing a lot of church. That's awesome. And, man, I'm like, you have missed it so much. Let me tell you something. I am not doing a lot of church. I got saved and realized I am the church. <laughs> I'm not doing a lot of church. This is not about church for me. This is not about Christian culture for me. This is about Jesus. Jesus radically changed my life. He radically changed my life. No pastor did, no, no ministry did. This place is great. God used it, but this ministry didn't die on the cross for my sins. You didn't die on the cross for my sins, and I didn't die on the cross for your sins, so don't put me there. Your parents didn't. Tradition didn't. Jesus did. I am the church. I believe a lot of people look at Christianity and think religion, and here's the reason why. Let me give it to you, and we're going to jump into Mark 1. Here's the reason why. Don't miss this. I believe a lot of people in America look at Christianity and believe it's a religion because when they look at a lot of Christians, all they see is religious people. And when they look at us, we don't look any different. We look like a group of people who follow tradition, who, man, church for us is Sunday morning, church for us is a scripture in our Instagram bio or our TikTok bio, but we, we are completely missing the fire for Jesus Christ. I bet a lot of people, I said this a couple weeks ago, I bet a lot of people look at Christianity, I did when I was lost, and say, man, for a group of people who believe that their Messiah was a Middle Eastern Jewish rabbi who died on a cross and then rose from the grave three days later, they sure don't talk like it. They do. I think part of the blame, not all of it, but I think part of the blame why Christianity is so misperceived in America is because the church that God has ordained to live out its faith is not truly living out its faith. When you do start doing that, when Christians get on fire for Jesus, especially young people, 18 to 30, when young people get on fire for Jesus and start living out their faith, this kind of stuff happens. God starts moving in a city. God starts baptizing people every week. Let me tell you something. We haven't broken our necks to line up these baptisms. God's basically been scheduling them. <laughs> you want to ask who's running our baptisms? Jesus. 
Jesus oversees our baptism schedule, and he's doing a fantastic job. <laughs> I'm telling you, God will move when young people get on fire for Jesus. But I wrote a question down. It's my last one. If the world looks at us and sees just another religion, when it looks at Jesus' followers, we have to be willing to ask the question, how are we truly following Jesus? Let's evaluate, because I know many of you are here tonight. You're probably familiar with church. Your parents probably went to church. Maybe, maybe they didn't. Maybe you have a story like mine, like mine where I was away from the Lord for a long time. We went to church when I was little, and then I decided to stop going to high school because I got mad at other people being hypocrites in the church. Maybe that's you. Let's talk about it tonight. Let's dive into it. So now as we look at Mark chapter 1, I want you to take a look here. This is the quickest gospel. It's the most fast-paced gospel. This is the uh, movie-esque gospel, very action-oriented. This tells the story of Jesus' miracles, of Jesus' actions, and it paints a very clear picture of Jesus being the Messiah. And right here what we have is Jesus' first call to humanity, and it's a very cool moment. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Stop right there. Let me just remind you of something that you heard for a long time. They're not businessmen. They're not rich. They're not famous. They don't have it all put together. They do a job that's dirty, that's hard, that's with their hands. And these are the people that Jesus is calling. Look at me. Don't ever tell me Jesus cannot call you. I don't care what kind of family you come from. I don't care what kind, what kind of money you made in your life. I don't care about all that. We got a great crowd tonight. I see you all in the back, crystal clear. Let me tell you something, all the way in the back. I don't care if you stumbled in here and your parents are going through a divorce and you're hurting and you feel like nobody loves you and you feel like Jesus doesn't love you. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you, but you are a sinner. You're like, ouch. <laughs> we just leave it at the Jesus loves you part. I can't. The gospel is Jesus does love you, but he doesn't love everything you do. And you and I are sinners. We have broken the commands of God. We have sinned. We've sinned. You got to call it what it is. We've lied. We've cheated. We've stolen. I know you. You're like me. Yes, you and me. <laughs> Yet, in Jesus' love, he chose to die for you. That's what changed my life. I realized Jesus died for my sins. And I realized this whole thing ain't about a religion for me. This is a relationship. And he can do the same thing for you. Look at Jesus' words here. This is so amazing. Verse 17, two words that change the landscape of humanity forever. Jesus says, follow me. Say it with me. You ready? Here we go. Follow me. That was pathetic. We got over 300 people in here, and three people spoke up. You ready? Say it with me. Follow me. Here we go. Follow me. Thank you. Somebody screamed. Thank you, John Gutierrez, having my back. Thank you. Jesus comes onto the scene. He says, follow me. That's an action. That's personal. <laughs> if I come up to you and I say, hey, Salsa, follow me, that means you are going with me on a journey. I didn't just push you to a set of rules. I said, follow me on this relationship. Jesus says, follow me. How many times have you read that as a kid and missed the great purpose of it? I did. Jesus told them, and then he makes a big statement. Jesus says, I will make you fish for people. In other words, I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> That's what you love about Jesus Christ. Jesus told them to follow him, and then he gave them the result of what will happen from following them. Did you catch that? Jesus says, follow me. Why? Because I'm going to make you fishers of men. Here's what will happen when you follow me. Your life will be changed forever. 
And you'll start doing the things I do instead of the things that you want to do. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this passage. God, we are in awe of Jesus. We are in awe of who he is and what he has done for us. And right now, Father, that we know that the devil is rebuked in the name of Jesus from this place. Father, he is a loser. We rebuke him. We rebuke distractions and discouragement in this room. God, I pray we would lock in and hear what you want to say tonight. Father, I pray that you would speak through me, God. Who cares what I have to say? We want to hear from you. Father, we don't want to be here if you're not in this room with us. And God, we know your word says when your people draw near to you, you draw near to them. So we draw near to you right now. Father, we know you where your word says in Matthew that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are there in their presence. And Father, we believe that you are here with us. God, we love you. We pray you would save people tonight for the first time. And we pray that you would move in people's hearts and minds. If that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Number one, it's not a superficial religion. Yeah. Tell me about it. Amen. Brother Steve be like, there's an amen belonged there. Number one, it's not a superficial religion. Now let's talk for a moment here. I want you to write down as much as you can. Some of this will be on the screen. Some of it won't. But Christianity is different than any other religion in the world. Hear me on this. Christianity stands alone. It is by far a, a, it is number one, we believe here that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We believe there is one way, his name is Jesus, and he is the only way to heaven. There's not multiple ways up that mountain, there's one, and he's a person, his name is Jesus. That's what we believe here. Now when you look at other religions, I want to walk through a couple of these with you. Let's start with Hinduism. I was doing some research this past week, and I was looking at Hinduism, Paul, and, and what I found is there's a place called the Ganges River, G-A-N-G-E-S, the Ganges River, and Hindus consider the Ganges to be a holy body of water. Watch this. This is very fascinating. Every year, millions travel to this body of water, to the Ganges River. They travel to this water, and what they do is they believe either they bathe in it or they stand beside it, or they do ceremonial rituals to it. And what they believe is, they believe that this is a source, watch this, of spiritual purification. That it washes away the negative, that it washes away the sin, that this is how they are purified. And so what they do is, they also believe this is a passageway to death. So they'll go there and they'll take the ashes of, of those who have been cremated and they'll, they'll dump them in the water. Or they'll take full-blown bodies of those who have passed away and they'll put them in the water believing that this is a passageway to the afterlife. It is a way, it is an instruction, it is what they are supposed to do in order to find spiritual purification. They also have a variety of different gods that they worship, each one having a different platform or a different meaning or a different ritual. This results in salvation and purification of sins. Not just that, but you look at Muslims and some of the things they do. Muhammad points to the Quran, which has five pillars for Muslims to practice. Not just that, but Muslims five times a day are instructed to pray. And each one of these prayers are met with instructions and guidelines for each one that Muslims have to follow. Set procedures, set conditions five times a day in order to have the favor of Allah. Then you look at Buddhists. And David Platt, I've been reading some David Platt. He's fantastic. I would encourage you to check out some of his material. David Platt said this when it comes to Buddhists. And this was really good, and it's, a, it's very long, so I'll put it on the screen. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Look right here. He said that while visiting a training center for Buddhists, over 500 Buddhist monks lived here. Everywhere we looked, we saw worshipers bowing before the statues of gold and stone. People walked in circles, reciting mantras and spinning prayer wheels. 
Buddha teaches that you must follow an eightfold path that consists of right views, right aspiration, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right contemplation. If a monk will follow this slow, difficult road to salvation, he believes he will experience nirvana. This hit me right here. Look at this right here. Look at this quote. I asked, how will you find peace and rest? He answered, I don't know. I'm still searching. Now you look at just those three, and can I point out something to you? What is the common denominator there in those three? Are you ready for this? Don't miss this. Each one of those are pointing to a set of regulations, a set of rules. It's showing you a path you must follow. It's showing you things you have to achieve and accomplish in order to earn salvation or purification, to earn forgiveness. And it's showing you these paths you must take and all these things you must do. Now, when you think about that, I got to tell you something. When you look at Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, now think how resounding his two words were to the entire species of humanity. When Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he looks at his people, he looks at us who are all created in his image. He looks at us and he sees at that time that they were surrounded by Pharisees who gave them nothing but rules and regulations. And Jesus came and realized, you know what? What these people don't need is rules and regulations. Jesus came down and personally said, follow me. Jesus did not say, follow this path, go these regulations, do these rules, and you'll earn salvation. Jesus came down and has said to you that in him is salvation alone. That's amazing. That's how personal of a God we have. But see, we don't live like that. We chalk Christianity to that it's just another one in the cafeteria line. With these two words, Jesus Christ made it clear. His purpose is not to invite you to a superficial religion. He is inviting you to a supernatural relationship. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Make sure you have that in your notes. Make sure you walk out of here and teach that to somebody else this week. Share that with somebody. His purpose is not to invite you to a superficial religion. He is inviting you to a supernatural relationship. Now, let's take all that. That's just three religions. That's just the difference with Christianity. Let's take all that and think about what superficial means. Are you ready for this? You know what superficial means, Jordan? Anybody know what superficial means when you break it down? Here it is. You ready? Surface level. Superficial at its core means surface level. While me and my wife, we got married, I told you a couple years ago, and we spent some time in Hawaii. We went to Hawaii, and it was an amazing place. Has anybody been to Hawaii before, show of hands? Man, we got a room that needs to travel. I see one. Man, listen, Hawaii is amazing. You step off the plane, and you start smelling the air, and you're like, this is not Memphis air. Like, like, this is the Garden of Eden air. Like, it is nice in Hawaii. I love it. I told Hannah, if we're still alive when we're old, we're going to retire to one of those islands. And while we were there... The water, though, in Hawaii, you know this if you've been. I saw you with your hand up. You know this. The water, he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I see you, boy. And uh, the water is freezing cold. Freezing cold. It is not warm. It's not warm. It's freezing cold. To me, it's freezing cold. It's cold. And my wife, Allie, she does really well with cold water. I mean, it don't even phase her. She'll go out and, like, do a belly flop. Like, woo! And I'm, like, putting my toe in the water. Like, ooh, this is freezing. I don't do well with cold water. 
And so we're sitting there, and it was like the third day. I'll never forget this. My wife, she goes out in the water. She's neck deep in the water. She's having fun. She's got, she's got scuba goggles on. She's got the little scuba gear. And she's like, she's looking down in the water. And meanwhile, I'm like laid out on the beach like a beach uh, seal. <laughs> just laid out just watching, doing nothing. And it was amazing because I saw this moment. Are you ready for this? My wife looked in the water, and she saw, she remembered this. She saw it was beautiful. Beautiful when you go onto that water. She saw all these fish swimming by. She saw the blueness of the water. You could see down to the trenches and everything. And the first thing she did is, watch this. First thing she did is she popped up out that water. She ran back to the surface and she said, Daniel, Daniel, you have got to come in the water and see this. <laughs> and I realized that when she went past the surface level, she was so in awe that she, the first thing she had to do was go and tell someone. Can I tell you something? If you are claiming to have tasted and seen that Jesus is good, if you have truly seen the depth and character of his nature, you should be running to tell people to invite them into the water. Maybe the reason why you aren't running to tell people about Jesus is because you have never gone past the surface level. Yeah. There's many that have been in church their whole life and never went past the surface level of Jesus Christ. There's people that have been in church their whole life and still sitting on the sand, wasting their life. Hello? <laughs> I mean, really, I think of the Samaritan woman. When she encountered Jesus at the well, the very first thing she did is went and told her whole village, and the whole village got saved. If you've truly met and encountered Jesus Christ, what's stopping you from telling your whole family about him? You tell me. But so many of us are content with sitting on the sand, watching other people enjoy the water because we want to be comfortable. Goodness gracious forbid I get in the water and get a little bit cold. Goodness gracious you give up a little of your time and sit at Jesus' feet for 30 minutes in the morning instead of a five-minute Devo. Goodness gracious I, I stick my head under the water and come up a little cold and realize how beautiful it is underneath. Heaven forbid you dig in God's word and not just a Devo or verse of the day for your phone, but actually make time to dig and see how beautiful it is when you look past the surface level of this thing we call Christianity. <laughs> I promise you, when you do, you'll be the first one in the water. <laughs> when you see Jesus in his glory, you'll be running out in that water. You'll dive head first and you'll want to tell every single person what you have seen. But until you go past the surface level, you're going to keep sitting on that beach. You're going to keep sitting on that sidelines. That's why we got a breakdown in the families in America because husbands are sitting on the sidelines. Husbands ain't leading their families, and that's why the concept of family has broken down in America. That's why we don't have godly families anymore because the husband is not leading in a godly way like he's supposed to. You know why husbands get that way? Because they don't own it in college. They do whatever they want in college, and then they go and get married, and they're 28, 29, and they have no idea how to lead their family. Who am I speaking to tonight? There's women in here tonight who are bound and dead set on continuing in jealousy and comparison and insecurities and are unwilling to give it to Jesus, and then they wonder why they struggle with it when they're a mom. Take these issues and deal with them in college. <laughs> Don't take your sin, don't take your selfishness, don't take your fallen disparities and drag them into your marriage. Don't do it. Ain't a single word of this in my notes. <laughs> well, I'm off at this point. I don't know where we are. <laughs> we're just, hey, we're in the water looking at Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, we're in the water. <laughs> I got to tell you, man. 
Deal with it now. I can't stress that to you enough. Man, I've told you guys, if I could go back before I got married, when I was 24, I would die to myself immediately. I would write down every selfish desire I had, and I would take it, and I would literally burn it. <laughs> I'd burn it. Some of you were at The View a year ago when I lit the fire on stage. Some of the old heads remember that. I would take my sin, and I would burn it, and I would say, I'm done with it. <laughs> Have you put on the goggles, which is getting in the word? Have you gotten in the water, which is getting in prayer? And are you willing to dive past the surface to see the beauty and the depth of Jesus Christ's character? I can't get past that illustration, man. I've been thinking about it all weekend. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't be, don't be living out your face sitting on the beach like a bum. I was a bum for a long time. I am sometimes today. I fall into the same stuff today. You know what? God did not call me to be a sideline player. He didn't call me to be a water boy. He called me to get in the game and make disciples. And he's calling you to do the same. I got to move on. I'm so sorry. I've got to move on. Let me find where I am here. Jesus never said go this way and find the truth and the life. But he did say in John 14, 6, make sure you write this down. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All weekend long, I've been thinking about that Buddhist monk. If I can be honest with you, Delaney, I've been thinking about that monk all weekend long. All weekend, I've been thinking about that guy. I don't even know who he is. He's some, book, he's some guy in some book, but I've been thinking about him. Because I've been thinking about how many Christians are exactly like that, cat. How many Christians want peace and rest, but we're never finding it because we're searching everywhere in the world. Can I tell you something? This is a spoiler alert. I found this out the hard way. If you're going to the world for your peace and rest, you are swimming to the bottom of the pool looking for air. You're going the wrong way. <laughs> when you're looking for peace and rest, don't go down. You look up. Jesus, in fact, said this. He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me, another personal encounter here. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We can keep that on the screen for a minute. You know what that verse does not say? It does not say, come to me, all of you who are equipped to be great ministry people. <laughs> it doesn't say, come to me, all of you who are wise and knowing. Come to me, all of you who are social and extroverts. Come to me, all of you who are introverts. No, it says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest rest. Christian, let me speak to you tonight. Did you walk in here tired? I bet you did. I came here tired tonight. I'll be real with you. I showed up tired. Did you come here tonight experiencing spiritual warfare? I experienced it over the last week. It's not me or anybody in this room who will give you that peace and that rest you're looking for. It's only going to come from Jesus Christ. But what he's saying to you is come to me. Stop playing games, go to Jesus. He has everything you need. I am nothing more than just another living testimony of his faithfulness. I love this because a lot of us, we walk around thinking, how can I make God happy today? How can I please God today? And that's not inherently wrong, but what I want you to understand very clearly, and I want you to write this down, if you're walking around having these thoughts all day, wondering, am I pleasing God? What am I doing? Listen, it is not about pleasing Christ. It is about being pleased in Christ. It is not about pleasing Christ. It is about being pleased in Christ. Because once you are pleased in Christ, everything else will fall into place. Works, evangelism, discipleship, 
repentance, everything. When you start getting pleased in Christ, everything else will come. John Piper said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And I just want to turn that statement. I don't want to get on you too much tonight. I'm going to say whatever the word says. But listen, think about that statement and just flip it for a minute. We're going to move on. If God is most glorified, watch, seriously. If God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him, and not a girlfriend, not a boyfriend, not a fraternity, not a sorority, not a sports team, not a church, nothing. If God is most glorified when you are most satisfied in him, then if you are not very satisfied in him, he's not getting much glory from your life. It hit me. That's the, that's the flip of that quote. If we're not really satisfied in Jesus, when we're alone, when we're with people, when we're out and about, when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're with our family, if we are not satisfied in Jesus, he isn't getting much glory for our life. But all you have to do, watch, it's so simple. I'll take this this week and apply this. What you have to do is be satisfied and pleased in who Jesus is, what he has done, and things in your life will supernaturally come together. I don't know how to tell you. I did not earn my way to be a pastor. I didn't strategically place myself in job interviews to get here, to, to have whatever, whatever platform this is. I served God day by day, and he revealed my calling. He showed me that I was a sinner. He saved me. And then over those years, he kept lining up different people groups for me to lead. You want to be a leader? He said something. I've said this before. The first people group I ever led was a seventh grade group of basketball players. They were sorry. They couldn't walk and chew bubble gum. They couldn't dribble with their offhand. They were a really bad crowd. Some of them are here tonight. They're in college now. I'm getting old. That was the first group of people I ever led. And let me tell you something. I fully believe if I was not faithful leading them, God would never allow me to lead a ministry like this. And for some of you, you want to be a leader one day, but you're not willing to be faithful to lead the two or three people he's put directly in front of you. You're not willing to lead your coworkers to Jesus. You're not willing to lead your friends and family to be more like Christ. Lead where your feet are, and God will supernaturally line everything else up. Isn't that amazing? So let's remember what following Jesus is. It is a living, walking relationship. It is a living, walking relationship. So why often do we minimize it to a rigid, relation, rigid religion? I wrote some of these down. I want to run through them so I don't get too off here. But slowly and subtly... We push Christianity down to be just another religion. If Hindus bathe in the Ganges River, Christians get baptized in the church. Muslims go to worship on Friday. Christians go to worship on Sunday or Monday night. Buddhists recite mantras. Christians sing chorus. And none of these are wrong. But what I want to warn you is, and here it is, I, I can't tell you the truth without, like it hit me all weekend. It's going to hit you a little bit. It's possible to do all of those Christian things apart from Jesus Christ. You don't believe me? Do you remember a man named Nicodemus? And Nicodemus was the prime picture of it. And I'm just warning you, man. I'm not saying this is you. I'm just warning you because I have been that way many times since getting saved. But Nicodemus on paper was the prime Christian. Prime one. Structured his life around scripture. Prayed and went to worship. Read and taught the Bible. Lived a good, decent, moral life. More than that, he did everything he could to honor God. Everything was right on the outside. And yet so tragically for Nicodemus, something was missing on the inside. Because his eyes couldn't see Jesus standing right in front of him. It's in John chapter 3. It's so sad. I love, uh, you know, I was supposed to uh, start my diet in March. <laughs> it's a hardship. Like, Nicodemus, I was supposed to start my diet in March, but COVID hit. 
So like a lot of you, I just said, oh, well, forget it. <laughs> you know, we're not going to be out on the beach, so I guess I'll just keep eating these Reese's Cups. I'll be honest with you. When COVID hit, you're either one or two people. I'll, I'll be real with you. Either you use that time to do home workouts and get in shape, or you did like me, and eating became a hobby. <laughs> you know, <laughs> eating became a pastime. Like, yeah, what can I get into tonight? Pringles? And I just found myself in the kitchen. I don't know what I was doing in the kitchen. But <laughs> sometimes I was supposed to start my, my diet back in March, and uh, April was a weird time. April was like the height of quarantine. You remember it. We were on lockdown, and we were stuck in our houses, and I built a patio, and there were a lot of spiders, and you're familiar with that. And it's a weird time. We did Easter at home, which was weird. Doesn't it feel like we skipped Easter this year? Like we didn't. It all happened. It was just virtual. And like we never went back and said anything like, hey, do you, we should we, you know, do that later? We just kind of glossed over it. But I was thinking about Easter, and I want to put this picture on the screen. Check this out. This is what you get uh, at Easter time. You get chocolate Easter bunnies. You ever seen these before? These are like the main things for sale at every uh, Kroger you go to. Every Walmart, you can find an abundance of chocolate Easter bunnies. And to be honest with you, they're not very good. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them. A good buddy of mine told this story. I, uh, when you buy them, you take them out of the package, and you bite into it, you're disappointed. Why? <laughs> you crunch your teeth. <laughs> you crunch those teeth down. Why? Because it's hollow. <laughs> See, Easter bunnies, though they're beautiful on the outside, when you bite into them, they're completely hollow on the inside. That's how Nicodemus was. And that's how some of us are today. Some of us today, we dress ourselves up so beautifully on the outside. So beautifully. Like chocolate Easter bunnies. We dress ourselves up with religion. We dress ourselves up with a cute Bible, a journal, a cool social media. Like we dress ourselves up so beautiful on the outside, yet it's possible to walk around feeling hollow on the inside. And we're so focused on appearance. This generation is so focused on appearance. We really believe that if we can convince other people we're living for Christ, then maybe we really are. You think about that this week. What's amazing, though, is you look at Nicodemus. <laughs> Nicodemus' life was changed when he truly met Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus takes you who was hollow before meeting Jesus. He takes you, and what he does is to fill you up, he takes the Holy Spirit of God. And when you get saved, he literally goes, boom, and he puts it in your living body. He literally puts the Holy Spirit of God, what resurrected Jesus from the grave, he puts in your body, and it's supposed to live through you. So when you hear Christians say, I am filled with the Holy Spirit, in other words, that means our heart is filled with Christ's desires. That means our mind is filled with heavenly thoughts. That means our body is filled with Scripture. We don't just read it one time a day. We memorize and we meditate on it. That's what it truly means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, if someone was to come in contact with you, you should be so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that they don't really know if they met you or Jesus Christ living through you. <laughs> That's what, and don't we miss that? Don't we miss that? Listen, I, I, I know we're a Baptist church. I get it. We're not Pentecostals. I understand all that. I get it. But let me tell you something. Man, don't we miss living out our faith and living on fire for Jesus Christ and being filled with the Holy Ghost so many days? I mean, can I just be real with you? There's got to be more. There's got to be more than just worshiping on Monday nights and doing a 10-minute Devo Wednesday, and that's your relationship with Jesus. No. There has got to be more to this. Don't you want more? Let me tell you something. This is not theoretical for me. And I hope it's not for you. I've said it many times. 
this is not about Christian tradition for me. I don't care about tradition. We, gonna ch we can change whatever we're doing if it glorifies God. This is not about approval. This is about walking with the living God, the Holy Spirit of God, filling you. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you will do things that Jesus Christ did in his lifetime. So that's why really with the Gospels, if we took it and printed it out up on a wall and look at everything Jesus did, if we're truly followers of Christ, then what he did should be what we do. But if we printed off the Gospels and put my life and your life on a board and look at how we spent our time versus how Jesus spent his time, there's a big disparity. Because Jesus walked and talked with sinners. Jesus touched lepers. Jesus went past racial barriers. Jesus never, ever got caught up in something so stupid as racism. <laughs> never. Never. Something that was meant to glorify and give God honor and his creativity has now gone to us dividing ourselves. Is that not the stupidest thing you ever heard in your life? Jesus never looked at someone. Imagine this. He was perfect. He never looked at someone and said, ooh, this person can do this for me. This can give me some gain, so I'm going to be nice to this person. Jesus loved everybody when they could do nothing for him. I heard someone once say this. Jesus did not come to rescue a drowning people. Jesus came to resuscitate a dead people. You need to realize you weren't drowning. Drowning would mean there's still some life in you and you had a chance to make it out on your own. You were dead, dead in your sins. No hope, not little hope, no hope. At 21 at that park as I laid on that ground, I got down on that ground that night, December 26, 2015. I got down on that night, on that ground that night with no hope, but when I got off the ground after giving my life to Jesus, I had all the hope in the world. That's what's amazing. That night, I literally laid face down on the ground without the Holy Spirit of God. I prayed. I repented of my sins. I gave my life to Jesus. I said, enough playing games and playing footsie with this thing. And when I got off the ground, I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and my life has been changed. I can't take any credit and glory for it. I am literally a nobody. I am literally a nobody. Nothing. But through the power of Jesus Christ, he has given me a calling and purpose and love and people around me who build me up. And let me tell you something. For those of you who, and this might hurt a little bit, for those of you who are walking around with a big chest thinking you are somebody, you are nobody. But the one up there who really is somebody, the creator of the world, loves you. And he wants to call you to live for somebody. <laughs> Man, don't miss this tonight. This is not a sermon you write notes on and go out and say, oh, yeah, that was cute. This is a sermon you put into action tonight. <laughs> this is a sermon that you take and you apply every single day of your week. Please, please, I beg you. I beg you to not walk out those doors and go back into a religion. I beg you. It is a waste of time. It is not about religion. It is about a relationship. Nicodemus met Jesus Christ, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. And Jesus will bring you back from the dead. Number two, it's a supernatural relationship. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It is not a superficial religion. Many of you have tasted and seen that. Number two, it is a supernatural relationship. Do you remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? Trey, do you remember what he said in John 3.3? 3? Jesus laid it out very clear. He said, here it is on the screen, John 3, 3, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's very churchy to say born again, but it's very true and it's scriptural. You literally, Nicodemus asked, remember, that's how blind he was. He said, 
So, Jesus, you're saying I climb back in the womb? <laughs> like, you're saying I got to become a baby again? And that's how blind Nicodemus was. And Jesus says, no, you die to yourself, and you are raised again. You are reborn, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You are buried with Christ in the death and raised to walk in newness of life. Don't y'all love seeing baptisms on Monday night? Don't y'all love seeing college students going faithfully? Yes, absolutely. Praise God. That's literally you. It's a picture of you being born again. You are buried and you are raised to walk. Now think about Mark 1 here, and I need you to lock in. I don't want you to miss point 2. I want you to lock in with this here. You think about Mark 1, watch this. Think about the cultural context that was happening around that time. Here's the context that those fishermen were living in. Watch this. Let's talk about this. At that time, their culture was filled with Pharisees. The Pharisees, on one hand, imposed and were consumed with rules and regulations. Pharisees were all about tradition and rules and regulations. In fact, the teachers at that time took the Old Testament and twisted it to make following the law the basis of, God, of earning God's favor. They said, hey, let's make it about following the law and trying to be perfect, and that's how you earn God's favor. In other words, the Pharisees made it more about what their hands could do for God instead of their heart belonging to God. That's where these fishermen lived. They lived in a culture that was all about, hey, your hands have to earn your favor with God. Your heart, it doesn't matter what your heart belongs to. Remember when Jesus told the Pharisees? Remember when he said, hey, you are like a cup that is beautiful on the outside, but when you look inside that cup, it is filthy on the inside. You remember that salsa? That's what Jesus is talking about, that there's no purpose in cleaning the outside of the cup if you don't clean the inside, because if you don't clean the inside, it's no good to anybody. Listen, if you dress yourself up as a perfect Christian, but you haven't been reborn on the inside, you're not good to anybody. But when you clean a cup on the inside, you begin to use it, and it provides water for those who need water. If you would allow Jesus to truly sanctify you of those nagging sins in your life, you would become a great benefit and impact to other people around you for the kingdom of God. It's amazing, man. I know in the room right now, there's people who is clicking for them for the first time. <laughs> and that's what I love. I remember, where you, I remember being where you are, where in your mind it starts to click and the, the, the things in your life start to line up. The Pharisees did this, and watch this. It comes back to that hoodie we came out with last week. The reason why the Pharisees did this is because it was their way of making it all about them. By the Pharisees doing this, they made it all about them. The most self-centered thing you can do is say that your works get you salvation. That's the most self-centered thing you can do. Your works are a proof of the salvation that Jesus has done in your life. But you and I can never, ever climb a ladder to get to heaven. We will never, ever be good enough. Salvation comes from repenting and dying to yourself and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that he resurrected from the grave. That's the only reason you and I will get into heaven. Not anything you do, not any place you go, not any job you work. The only reason you and I get to walk through the gates of heaven is because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't get to go through the gates of heaven. You go to a place called hell. Brother Steve said a couple weeks ago, the most loving thing I can do is talk to you about hell. Now, you talk about hell today, people get so on edge, they get so scared. They're like, why is this guy talking about hell? I'm not coming back to this place. But hear me. The most loving thing I can do is tell you that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, your loved ones don't have a relationship with Jesus. There is no God winking. There is no, oh, I got to buy ticket. I get a pass. Like, if they don't know Jesus, it's real. They die, they go to hell. 
And that's the most loving thing I can tell you because you know what? It's true. And when you go out of here, when you look at those loved ones, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you start thinking about that, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you come to one. You come to know Jesus in a way that you never, ever have before. I want to give you an example of this very quickly about how they made it all about them. And I want you to write this down before I do. Write this down. Don't ever believe the lie. Don't ever believe the lie. This one won't be on the screen. Don't ever believe the lie that God values what your hands can do for him more than he values your heart belonging to him. I'll say it again real quick. Don't ever believe the lie that God values what your hands can do for him more than he values your heart belonging to him. Now, for example, the teachers at this time when it came to the Sabbath, God commanded his people not to carry a load on the Sabbath. They were not supposed to carry anything on the Sabbath. Watch this. Here's what happened. God created the Sabbath for man. God did not create man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath's purpose was for man to rest. For us to realize that God does not need us making disciples and sharing Jesus seven days a week. He is calling us to rest, to slow down, to pray, to get in his word. He is calling you to rest. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. The teachers, watch this, back then, talk about the culture of the fishermen, they made the Sabbath unrestful, quick. Here's how they did it. When it came to not carrying a load on the Sabbath, they started asking, what is a load? What classifies as a weight to not carry around? Are your clothes a load? So here's what they got. The Pharisees laid down a new law saying that your clothes were not a load if you were wearing them, but if you were carrying an item of clothing, it was considered a load. Imagine this. In other words, here's what I just said. It would be okay to wear a jacket back then on the Sabbath, but it would not be okay to carry a jacket back then on the Sabbath. Do you see how twisted that is? And they did this with hundreds of other tiny things, and they would hold their people to it to earn God's favor. They would use these things as a yoke around people's neck, and they would pull, and they would pull, and they would pull until God's people were literally strangled. That's crazy, and that's unrestful. So when Jesus came on the scene to these fishermen, that's what's so groundbreaking about those two words. That's what you and I don't understand. See, if we just think about it today, we don't understand it. But when you understand the context of that time and how, goodness gracious, they were so unrestful. They had no rest. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and need rest, it was like, whoo. Are you kidding me? Like, man, no wonder they got up and ran to follow Jesus because they view Jesus as the Savior and Messiah of the world and the one who could provide rest to him. Maybe you and I aren't running to Jesus because we don't have an accurate picture of him. We're never going to run to Jesus if we don't believe that he's truly our rest. For those fishermen, they said, man. This guy told me to follow him personally. This guy told me to come to him when I'm weary and I'm restful and I believe him. And they went, they ran, they followed after Jesus. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Jesus Christ wants a relationship with you. And if I can dig into this for a minute, I know you know very well what a relationship is. I do not have to break down what a relationship is in this room because we all covet one. We all want a relationship. We so badly believe if I could just get that Boyfriend, if I could just get that girlfriend, if I could be married, if I could have a ring by spring, is that the saying? If I could have a ring by spring, is that the saying? You ever heard that? Thank you. <laughs> Somebody. The cameraman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ring by spring. We, we know what relationships are. Let's be real. We know what they are. And sometimes we pour so much of our life into the relationships we have with people, and we never pour anything into the relationship we have with Jesus Christ. We do. 
I'm not making it up. I do. I told you this. Think about my wife for a minute. If I told my wife, Hannah, I will talk to you 10 minutes in the morning. After that, I don't know if I have any other time to talk to you during the day. That's not a relationship. And for some of us, if we relegate Jesus to 10 minutes in the morning and never coming back to that relationship with him, is it really a relationship at all? It's a relationship. And for some of us, that needs to click in our mind, and we need to start pouring everything we have into that. He wants a relationship with you, so don't settle. Please, hear me. I don't care if you've been doing this for 20 years or if you're a, becoming a new believer tonight. Don't settle. Please don't. You tell them your pastor told you to don't settle for a superficial religion. Every day wake up and pursue a supernatural relationship. Don't settle. Don't let your life get so busy where you can't lay down and sit at the feet of Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of ways to waste time out there in the world, but it's never a waste of time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Never. Don't settle, man. Don't settle. Please don't. I'm telling you. The best thing you got going in your life. The only thing worth holding on to at the end of the day is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Our pastor said it this morning. You are as close to God as you want to be. You are as close to God as you want to be. The Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. However much you are drawing near to him, that's how close you are to him. And guess what? If you take one step, he takes three. (laughs) That's the glory about Jesus. If you extend one arm, he extends two. When you start to move towards Jesus, he makes a move for you and he changes your life and he changes your life daily. I want to say one other thing to you. I want you to write this down. Don't trade away the approval of Christ for the applause of man. I've said this many times. If you've been at The View for a little while, if you've been here since you belong here before that, you've heard me say this. Don't trade away the approval of Christ for the applause of man. I'll never forget at the end of Avengers, Endgame. Many of you are Marvel fans. Any Marvel fans in here? It's coming back. Yeah, okay, wow. Yeah, all right. Amen. Praise God. (laughs) I think Tobey Maguire is going to be in the next Spider-Man movie. Sorry about that. No, No spoilers. I don't know. It's on... It's on Wikipedia, but which is, of course, trusted. Uh, I remember at the end of Avengers Endgame, spoiler alert here, if you haven't seen it, you should have seen it by now, so it's whatever. But at the end of Endgame, they're about to have the final face-off, and all the Marvel superheroes start coming through the Doctor Strange portal. You remember that? Yeah, it's an amazing moment. I was in the movie theater that night for the premiere with, with my team. I was with, I think we were watching it with Delaney Degelow and Hannah Grace Robbins and my wife was there and we were there watching it and I remember the, the movie theater was going crazy, man. You've seen the videos. They were like, ah, Spider-Man, I love you. And like they're calling out names like, oh, it's the woman from Ant-Man. God, I couldn't think of the name. She was in Lost, uh, the Wasp. The Wasp, y'all got angry about that. Wasp. <laughs> okay, thank you, Tina. Chill out a little bit, all right. Uh, just kidding, it wasn't Tina. And everybody's cheering. And what's amazing, this was, well, this was an amazing moment. Watch this, though. As good as that moment was, as many people applauded, that applause still ended. And when the movie was over, people got up and they moved on to whatever was next. Let me tell you something. If you are chasing after the approval of people, they will clap for you. But let me tell you something. That applause will always end. <laughs> and people will move on to whatever they love next. That's why I'm not an entertainer. I'm not here to entertain you on Mondays. I'm sorry. If you come in here to be entertained, you're in the wrong place. I'm here to preach. And that's what I'm going to do every week. That's what our pastor does. That's what I do. I'm not in the entertainment business. 
because people will move on. But what people don't move on from, what has changed people's lives for over 2,000 years now, is the Holy Spirit of God moving through his divine supernatural word. It's amazing, isn't it? My last thing, though, and we're going we're gonna to send this ship home right here, is this. If we are truly disciples of Jesus, if we are truly changed by Jesus Christ, why do we have to be convinced and begged to make disciples? I'm serious. God bless you. I'm serious. Why do we have to be begged and pleaded with to go and help do for someone else what Christ has done for us if our life has truly been changed? Why? You look at the Gospels, you look at Acts, they didn't have to be begged or persuaded or convinced to go make disciples. They went and did it because their lives were changed. What I see in America is I see people who often, and I myself am one of them, we come, we sit down, we're a consumer, we take in, we get what we can get, and then we go. But we don't go to make disciples, we go back to our lives. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them and baptizing them of all the nations. So why do we have to be convinced and persuaded to make disciples? If our life's truly been changed, I wonder that. I, I really don't know. Why do I have to be pushed to invest in somebody? Why do I have to be pushed and prodded to sit down with someone once a week and pour into them and talk about Scripture and go through the Word and share these here journals and then hang out with them outside of discipleship? Like, why do I have to be begged if my life has truly been changed? I don't get it. I don't get it, but that's what you see in America. And what I want to tell you is, man, I'm not going to beg you to make disciples. And Jesus ain't going to come down here and beg you to make disciples. But what he has done is he has commanded you to go and help other people experience what you have experienced. We mentioned the Samaritan woman. The minute she got saved, the first thing she went and did is told her whole village. Some of us have been hearing about Jesus for 20 years and ain't went and told anybody. And I'm in that boat with you, man. I do the same exact thing. There's constant waiters and waitresses and people passing me by and best by and people passing me by on the street. And I walk right by them and I don't even stop to think that person has a soul that's going to heaven or hell. And what I can promise you is if you'll get out of your own way, if I'll get out of my own way, if we'll realize it's not about us, if I'll die to myself and be willing to open my mouth and verbally tell people about Jesus and then teach them scripture, what we will see is you will experience people's lives changing forever. You will. In your sorority, you will see girls get on fire for Jesus and you will be amazed at girls who, who you never would have thought would have come to know Jesus will come to know him and their life will radically change and your whole sorority will change. I promise you it can happen. If you love Jesus, your sorority, your fraternity can be overtaken by the gospel, and you can help be the flame that completely lit that fire. Don't settle for anything less. When you go back to your sorority, when you go back to your fraternity, you go there as a missionary. You are a missionary who happens to be in a sorority. You're not in a sorority, and you just happen to be a missionary. As I look out across this room right now, I'm so encouraged. Like, I love being here with you on Monday nights. I cannot stress that enough. I love it. I love it. I love it because I'm surrounded by people who love Jesus Christ, people who want to see the kingdom of God expanded in the city of Memphis. And what God has called me to do is to be here to help you. It's to be here to join you on your journey as you share Jesus, as you love God, as you love people, and as you make disciples all across the city. Let me tell you something. God doesn't always call the equipped. What he does is he equips the called. And there's a calling on your life, and he will equip you.
Tonight, go. Go and make disciples. I've got one last thing, and then we're going to land it down. How many of you have ever played with dominoes? Huh? Right? Yeah, some of y'all know dominoes. I'm not talking about the pizza. I don't know if that was confusing. So I'm talking about these dominoes. Some of y'all are getting hype about that cheesy crust. But no, I'm talking about these dominoes right here. I had a, a chance to, uh, with a friend of mine, I was playing with dominoes. I haven't done it in a long time, but I was playing with some of these dominoes. And, you know, nowadays we have virtual reality. Nowadays we have video games. We have our phones. We don't just play with dominoes anymore. But we set these dominoes up. And what I love about these dominoes is when you set them up and when they're close enough to each other, if you set a long line of them up, right, watch this. You set a long line of them up, and then you come in and you push that domino, that domino, when it's pushed hard enough, will fall and will reach all those dominoes that come directly after it. Isn't that an amazing picture? And I'm sitting here thinking about dominoes the whole weekend. I can't even lie to you. And as, as I was thinking about it, I wrote this down. You and me are often like dominoes. In order for a domino to impact another domino, it has to be pushed by someone's hand. For you and me to ever, ever impact someone in a Christ-like way, you and I are going to have to accept the push of God's hand. All a domino has to do to hit another domino is just be close enough to it to make contact. Can I tell you that God has strategically placed people in your life who, just like a domino, are perfectly close enough to you. Not too close. It'll be a little weird. We're social distancing. <laughs> but that are close enough to you to where when he pushes you, you impact them. And just like dominoes, it's a chain reaction. It just goes and it impacts hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. But I want to tell you, the reason why we don't want to impact other dominoes is because we want to stay right where we are. A domino just wants to stay right where it is and not be pushing. You and me, if you're not careful, you'll just end up standing right there in place. God's trying to push you. And it doesn't take much of a pushing. What I believe is if Jesus has truly radically changed our lives, why do we even need a push? That is the push. The fact that Jesus has saved you and changed your life should be enough for you to go and help that happen in somebody else's life. It is not about a superficial religion. As you go out those doors tonight, it is about a supernatural relationship.